Well, we're going to be in 1 John this evening, and uh, verses uh, 1 through 10. I started an introduction Wednesday night, just an overview of it. Speaks about the assurance of our salvation. We're not perfect, and how to love one another. It's kind of a small epistle. I, I think it's a wonderful epistle. It's foundational for Christians to have a deep understanding that uh, we should have all these evident in our lives. The assurance of our salvation, knowing that we're not perfect, and to love one another. That's just foundational for Christians to live. I think to think that because I was saved that uh, I can reach some state of uh, perfection, I would be lying to myself. I believe Wesley, Wesleyism believed, uh, he believed that it was possible, even though he said he couldn't make it to that point. And I know some different religions and stuff uh, kind of practice that they believe that. Now, we're going to be talking uh, in First John, it discusses about the Gnostics that came into the church it doesn't necessarily say that, but we know that by how the letter starts out. And uh, there's just some foundational things there. And I think tonight we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about the we's and the you's and the us's. In this uh, ten verses, it says we twenty one times. It says you four times, and it says us seven times. So I think as a foundation, we should uh, figure out who the we is. Uh, something about Herman Newicks is, uh, you know, who's, uh, who's this writing to? Who's it speaking to? But let's get it right, the word. So because it says we 21 times in 10 verses, I, I think we should know who the we is, okay? And... Uh, so who is we? Well, we believe the author to be John who wrote the book. So when he refers to we, that would be him. And who would be else included in that? Well, it would be the people that had seen Jesus, that had seen Jesus manifested himself, that had seen Jesus' miracles. Uh, they seen with his own eyes. They touched him. They came to believe. That, that would be John and his disciples. That would be the we. In, in these. So when we're going over these verses. So it starts off and it says that uh, it starts off that we should always uh, start off with prayer. The importance of prayer. Uh, and we should always let's, let us be in the attitude of prayer. Let us just go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God Lord we just thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that I've prepared enough, I've spent enough time reading your word. I pray that I have the wisdom to expound on your word. Father, and I pray that eyes can, you can give people eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to know. We can do the planting, Father. We can do the watering. But without you, Father, it's, it's hopeless. And I need you, Father. I need the Holy Spirit to be led by the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the, the love of God 
I thank you for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the interaction, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that leads and guides me in my life. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 John starts off and it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Walking in the light. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Wow, there's an awful lot of we's. And every one of them we's that is being stated there is John and his disciples. I almost wanted to, uh, to name, name the title of the message if, if you're saved and don't believe you sin, you make God a liar. But I just reverted to the assurance of your salvation because that is a, a key point here, the assurance of our salvation. So who is this we, by the way? What, what is that, where does that come from? Well, we're going to have to dive into that a little bit. Because it says, it starts off that it says, that which was from the beginning. Now, that could have been from the beginning of time, or it could have been from the beginning when the we group, the disciple, John and his disciples had first put their eyes on Jesus, which I tend to believe it was at that time, is that what's from the beginning, the first time that they had Jesus, that which we have heard. So... Let's, let's dig into this a little bit for understanding who the we is. We is a saved, a regenerated soul is who this is. So what we need to do is we, we need to go to the book of John. Okay? Because that, that, that tells us. The prologue of John, verses 1 through 18, discusses 
It's, it's not like any of the other Gospels. It goes from the beginning of time. We have a problem in churches and in, in the past, now, and in the future. People like to adulterate God's word. They br- like to bring in lies in, into it. They like to bring harm and pain into people's lives. The same thing was happening with the Gnostics back then as happened today in our church. We have to have a clear foundational understanding who this guy Jesus is. And it's interesting to me that not even talking about the religions that proclaim they're Christians, but religions around the world. Uh, Judaism would, was the founder of Christianity. That's where it came from. But there's Judaism, Islam, Almedia, which was 19th century India, Baha, 19th century Persia. You got Hinduism, which was in India in the 12th and from the 12th to the 6th century BC before Christ, and Buddhism, 563 BC to 483 BC. Now, there's something about all these religions that don't even claim they're Christian. They, they all do one thing. They all have to answer, who is this man Jesus? Who's Jesus? Why do they feel a need to have to explain who Jesus is? Now, they, they all come up with uh, some of the similar things. Uh, you know, I'll start with Judaism. And, you know, they believe that Jesus was a good teacher. He had many disciples. Jesus was respected. Jesus was a miracle worker. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus was crucified on the cross. Jesus' followers reported he rose from the dead. But the Judaism, the, the, the religion itself, did not believe he had risen from the dead. Islam believes Jesus was born a virgin. Jesus was to be revered. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus was a miracle worker. Jesus ascended to heaven. Jesus will come again. Now, all these facts that I'm making, you can, you can pull this out of their books, of their literature, of their religion, how they state this man Jesus. And it just amazes me how they feel a need to try to define who Jesus was. Almedia, 19th century India, they say Jesus may have been born a virgin, Jesus was a prophet, Jesus was a wise teacher, Jesus was a miracle worker, Jesus was crucified on the cross. Baha, 19th century in Persia, they say, and this is from their text, they, they pull this out. It was a 20-page report I read, and I'm just trying to put it, condense it here. They say, Jesus came from God, Jesus was born a virgin, Jesus spoke for God, Jesus was a wise teacher, Jesus had divine and human nature, Jesus was a miracle worker, Jesus was crucified and resurrected as an atonement for humanity. Hinduism. This one kind of stumped me because it goes from 12th to the 6th century BC, before Christ. Jesus was a holy man. Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus is God. And their books and their literatures will read this. Everybody seems to have to come up with some kind of understanding who this man Jesus is. Buddhism, 563 B.C. to 483 B.C. Their writings say Jesus was an enlightened man. Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus was a holy man. 
Now, I'm going to go back to Judaism because this is something that always, there's something about the, I don't know, the BS factor. Uh, you, you grow up on the streets, you, you learn when people are BSing you, you know? And I, I just want to be straight with you here. Listen, it's hard for me to believe that the Jews, they say, oh, Jesus, he was a, he was a teacher, he was a prophet, he was a miracle worker. He claimed to be the Messiah. They say all these things, right? Well, it's like they respect him as this wise teacher. They're lying to you. Listen, if I told you I'm the son of God, you would say, John, I think we need to get you some help. Okay? If you proclaimed you're the son of God, I would say, we need to get, I wouldn't say I respect your teaching. I would not say these things. So here, they, they, it's unbelievable. They contradict their own self in this, but they have a problem. They have to dispose of this man, Jesus, somehow. And they proclaimed that Jesus did miracles. Nobody ever denied that Jesus didn't do any miracles. What they say, though, they say, Abizabob, Satan. That's how he was able to do these miracles. It's just real interesting to me that how uh, religious, that are even, not even Christianity, not even Christian, have to define this man, Jesus. Now, we have the Gnostics, who I'm speaking about now, in 1 John, that had come into the church. Now, the Gnostic is a very interesting, and it was kind of formulated about the same time and ran parallel with Christianity. And some of the, the, their, their thoughts and perspective is, first off, they believed that, that creation was evil, that God made things and it, it was evil, that all creation was evil, but the spirit was divine and that was holy. They believed there can be two opposing views. They believed that God is evil, but Jesus in the spirit is holy, and they believed that by more knowledge, more light, that they can obtain their salvation, that it has nothing to do with the sin. Matter of fact, Gnostics believe that because all nature is evil, that they sinned and sinned even more, and it was okay and fine with them to do the sin because it's, it's, it's their body doing it, it's their nature doing it, and it it's matters how you think, not what you do. So this is what they, this is the ideology they was trying to bring into this new church, okay? This new church that this letter was written in 1 John was written for, to go back and give these people in the church assurance of their salvation, that they're not perfect and we have a way to dispose of our sin and to love one another the way Christ loved us. It's a very short epistle, but very clear. I love all of John's books because they're practical. They're literally there's no secret meaning, no higher level. There's no more enlightenment. They're just straight out, straightforward for somebody that literal skills are not that good, like myself, or is able to get it and be able to comprehend it. Now, without God, it's impossible for me to do that. But with God, I, I've been able to do that, and it's just crystal clear to me. What, what it begins to say here. And we knew it's the Gnostics, it was the Gnostics, and something else they believed. They, they were trying to tell the church, if I were to come in here and tell you that I, that, uh, uh, so you said you've seen Jesus, John the disciple and, and his, his disciples said that they've seen the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they walked with him, they touched him, and then the Gnostics come in and says, no, no, 
No, that wasn't really Jesus. That was a spirit that ascended on somebody else, and that person died on the cross, but it was never Jesus in the flesh. It was never Jesus incarnate. You got it wrong. That was just something mystical. It was a spirit. You've seen it. And these people began to, to believe these things. And what happens is when you begin to believe in cults or uh, misinformed religion, apostate religion, heresies, you will bring pain into your life. You could, some people believe in Jesus, they have their salvation, then they get misled. Paul says it to the Galatians. He says, who's bewitched you, you silly Galatians? He says, because I'm beloved, who's bewitched you? I've come here, I've preached the gospel, the good news, the salvation. You believed, you got the message by the Spirit, not by the law, Who's bewitched you? The Judaizers were coming in behind them and saying, hey, if you, want to be a, if you want to be a true Christian and be of God, you need to become a Jew first. You need to get circumcised. You need to follow the law. You need to have cer certain eating, dietary habits. And Paul says, no, who's bewitched you? You got the spirit to the Galatian people, which was a Gentile people. There weren't Jews. There were people outside of God's word. See, at that point in time, God's word was given to the Jewish people. These were the Gentiles that Paul went and preached. These Gentiles were living lives of the flesh, of lust, and going after the things and desires of the flesh. And what happens with each created human being is that there's a, there's a missing part that uh, seeks God. There's an emptiness inside each and every one of us. Well, Paul was able to go there at that time, and there was these hurting people. And he shared the gospel, the good news, who Jesus was, and they believed. They was led by the Spirit, and they believed. And then people were coming in behind them, telling them, oh, no, no, you got it wrong. This is the way it is. So here we see uh, the churches here that John ministered to a lot of the Jewish churches, but the agnostics were coming in there attacking it. Just like today, we would have somebody, uh, the Mormons say, maybe say that, uh, oh, we believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, but then they, they also tell you that God had a mother and father and was born, and then Jesus was born, and one day you can become a God too. And you know, the Jehovah's will tell you that, well, you know, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but, you know, he was really Michael the archangel. You know, uh, just apostate-type religions. You have other religions that tell you that you need to continue to put you back into the law, almost like the Judaizers. They, they, they will tell you that you need to do penance, you need to do work, and they, they keep you in the law. And we know what the law does. It's a school teacher for us. The law will excite you and cause you to sin even more. Not that the law is bad, but without the unaided help of the Holy Spirit in God, we are unable to do it. So it just excites our passions, it arouses us, and we begin to sin more. So when I come and try to place you back into the law, and you're just fighting it, you're just fist and gripping it uh, and fighting it, you'll begin to sin and then you, then you feel not worthy. You feel broken. You feel defeated. And they, we have religions out there today that's going to tell you that you need to do your penance. You need to do this. You need to do that. Listen, it's faith by grace we've been saved, not by our own works, for no man can boast. Now let's move into the book of John. Because it says, John is a wonderful book because... In the prologue, the first 18 verses, it spells out everything to us. Very simple, very clear. And it, it tells us. The theme of these 18 verses is the coming into the world 
of the preexistent Logos as Jesus Christ, the true light, in order to make God the Father known to humans who, by believing in Christ, become the children of God. The word Logos, Greek, Greek word, means word, okay? This is when the word come to life, okay? So in the beginning of John, what it says, in the beginning was the word, and I'll give you a hint, the word, change that out for Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. But let's just keep reading. Our, in the beginning was the logos, the word, the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. Now, there's other translations that says, and it did not comprehend will be overcome. And the darkness could not overcome. The darkness will never defeat the light. Jesus wins the battle. Good triumphs over evil. The, the word, when it says comprehend, it makes me think of a literal type thing. But it, when it says overcome, it becomes this battle that uh, it can't be overcome. But the important part here that we're looking at, in the, it says in the beginning was the word, logos, and the word was with God. So there are two distinct, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity we believe in. But here we see two distinct characters of the Trinity. Because they say, the way it's worded, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? Was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was God, that's Jesus, the book. When we read this book, you're reading Jesus, the Word, the Logos. It's going to go over the next 18 verses, it's going to go over the existence before the creation, as having life in himself, as bringing light, as entering the world whose glory was seen as the one and only Son, as the truth, as the only one who seen the Father. Jesus is the only one that's seen the Father. He's the only, he's the only, he's the only Son. Two distinct characters of the Trinity, separate but one. He was in the beginning with God. He wasn't a created being. These things, things are foundational. We need to just, we just bypass it and then we can believe some apostate type religion that says that Jesus was a created being or God was a created being. God is not a created being. He didn't have a mother and father. Jesus, the same thing. So, this is bearing witness to the Logos, coming into existence. It, uh, some assert that the Logos was impersonal before this. God in his word was impersonal until he sent the Son of God. So when, when God first chose the, Jews, the Jewish people and gave him his word and told them to expound on the word, it was kind of impersonable. But when, see, when Jesus, when God came in the form of his creation, incarnated himself into the form of his creation, became real where we could touch him, see him with our own eyes, and he began to minister to us, it became real personable. It became Abba, Father, enduring. 
that our God had come in the form of his creation for us. Now, all these other religions out there, they do not deny Jesus. They have to do something with Jesus. The reason if you have any desire, start with the Bible. Start with the Bible where we get all this, con- the, the, this the, the word, the logos, the word, the beginning. It gives us a beginning of time. And Jesus was with him. Now, who are the we? Well, the we are the ones that seen Jesus, that felt Jesus, that seen him with their eyes, that his incarn- he's seen all these miracles. Jesus performed so many miracles in front of these disciples in John that you would fill up all the books of the world. No one can deny that. But they were also something else. They were saved. They were a regenerated soul. We are talking about a saved people here in 1 John. We're not talking about the Gentiles or uh, some of the Jewish people being an apostate. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people that believed. We're talking about a saved people. Well, how does that happen? Well, you know what? I know a lot of pastors would just love to tell you, listen, just say this prayer. Just believe and say this prayer, and you're saved. Well, I don't read that in the Bible. Now, I'm going to get to the point where it tells us to believe. But the problem is, is there's 12 verses before that. Where Nicodemus comes to Jesus. This is foundational. We must understand this. Nicodemus comes as the leader of the people. The high priest for the Jewish people comes to Jesus. And in chapter 2, in the finishing of chapter 2, when Jesus says, they were, I think they wanted to stone him or something, and he says he knows the hearts and minds of all men. When Nicodemus approached him, he immediately said to Nicodemus, he says, you must be reborn again. Now, see, Nicodemus, he had some deep concerns about what? About his spiritual birth, about heaven. He was concerned as the leader of, uh, of the, his people in the, the Lagos, the word, the leader, the leader of the Lagos, the word that God had given the Jews, to the Jewish people that entrusted them. He was concerned about what? His salvation. Now, he was hoping he would come there and Jesus would say, you know, Nicodemus, you've been doing really good. You're, you're, you're keeping all the commands. You're doing this. I, I just love the way you're, you've been eating. It's just fabulous. You just need to do one more thing, and then you'll be good. And that's what Nicodemus wanted to hear, because they were so accustomed to the works. If I could just do one more thing, I can obtain my salvation. But see, Jesus didn't do that. He, he gave him a dilemma. He says, you must be reborn again. Now, Nicodemus says something kind of ridiculous. He says, so what, am I going to go back in my mother's womb? Now, he knows he can't go back in his mother's womb. But the metaphor here is so clear, it's crystal clear. Did you take any part in your first birth? Did anybody here take part in their first birth? Now, Jesus is using this as a metaphor for us to get this and get it right. No, you did not. When it tells us that we're dead in our trespasses, we're dead in our transgressions, because of our fallen nature from Adam all the way till now, because of our fallen nature in us, we're dead in our trespasses. Now, picture yourself dead in, in the hospital, on the gurney, the heart stopped. Can you, the, the paddle's right there, the AED. It's on, in the sound booth, right there next to Christian. Okay, now, 
if I was right next to it, just one inch away from me, could I grab that AED and give it the old shot to the chest? No. That's why it makes it very clear. We're dead in our trespass. There's nothing we can do. So when Paul says it's faith by grace you've been saved, not by your own works, for no man can boast, that means there's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do. Now, I know you're just waiting to get to the part where what you can do. I, I, I know that, because that's what I do. And now, listen, everywhere in Scripture, when they're going to give you that, believe in your heart, say this prayer, and you'll be saved, in three verses, if you go back and read the chapter before that, you'll find out it's like, wow, he loved Esau and he hated Esau and loved who? Who was it? Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. God does what he wills. And it goes on for this whole chapter and just spells it out real clearly that it's nothing that you do. And then it says, if you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Okay? Now the two are always right next to each other. And there's a reason for that. They didn't put it ten chapters over here and over there. And, and it takes an agnostic to because it's a higher enlightening level that you can reach your next degree for you can get to the celestial lodge. Bunch of BS. The celestial lodge, it may be a little hot there, okay? There's, there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus. And through the God, his son, named Jesus Christ, who incarnate himself into the form of his creation, that these disciples had looked upon, had seen with their own eyes, who had touched with their own hands, and had witnessed all the miracles that were going on. So now... I know you're just excited about your part. I'm going to tell you about your part. Seven verses, verses 12 to 18 in John chapter 3. It says, believe eight times. Believe in what? Jesus seven times. So here we find in, in seven verses, it states eight times. Let's just read these things. Let's just, let's just let this resonate. Let's just call on the Lord to give you a heart to know, eyes to see, and ears to hear. Because without him, this will not work. But here's your part. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus lifted up on the cross. Because it was the death, burial, resurrection of a living God. Verse 15. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Have eternal life, whoever believes in him. For God so loved the world. Now this is the verse they tell everybody to pray. They say, say a prayer and they pat you on the back and they say you're going to do fine. Then it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it's important to believe what we're reading here now. That God had his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to save the world. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Jesus, Jesus, God's not going to judge you. Uh, you judge yourself. How do you judge yourself? By not believing these words I'm telling you right now. If you do not believe these words and profess them, believe in the bottom of your heart and profess them, you've judged yourself already. And the Holy Spirit will make it evident to you. God will lose none of his children. He loses none of his sheep. They hear his voice. You hear the word, Logos. It, you get drawn to him. The same way I was drawn to God. I heard the word. I was drawn to God. I believe. I confessed with my heart. I made an outward profession of my faith after my salvation. I continued to be in his word and hunger and thirst for his word. Day and night I write it on my mind. So remember, if you get, if you get to a point where you're going down instead of up, you, you did the judging because you did not believe. I think that's so wonderful. How does God, such an amazing God, puts it back into the sinner's hands? Now, we, we're unaided to, we're unable to do this without him. That's the, uh, that's the quandary, you know. That's the must be born again. That's dead in your trespasses. We must believe. Pray to him. Verse 19. Then we're going to be wrapping this up. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. So here, here again, the light. Substitute the light for the Logos or Jesus. Truth, you could substitute for Jesus. The light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. See, if you love your deeds or evil, and you love the darkness more than you love the light, You've chosen not to believe. That's kind of what it says to me. Let's, let's go back to First uh, John. And uh, maybe this will become a little more clearer now that we've, we, we, we've established we, the disciples. We've, we've established who this man Jesus is. And we're going we're gonna to go through this text now. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go right from the beginning. That, now, you notice that the book of John says that uh, it starts from the beginning of time. Well, I believe 1 John starts at the beginning when, when John and his disciples, when they first put their eyes on Jesus. Maybe it could have been first when they first heard about the Messiah. Uh, but they, it was from that beginning which we have heard John and his disciples. Listen to the emphasis on seeing too. Because remember the Gnostics say, it was spiritual, it wasn't physical, you were just seeing things. So they, they put a lot of emphasis on this, which we have heard. They heard audibly, they heard Jesus speaking, which we have seen with our eyes. So they seen with their own eyes, which we looked upon. Well, there you go, looking again, seeing. We looked upon him and have touched with our hands. He wasn't a spirit and ghost where... 
the, the hand went right through Jesus. He was a real person when they touched him. Remember doubting Thomas when he come back in and Thomas says, well, he was going to just doubt unless he could touch. And Jesus had him actually physically touch the hole in his side where he had got stabbed by the spear on the cross. And Thomas didn't doubt no more. What about when Jesus sat down and had the fish and ate with, with them? He had a physical body that he ate. He passed through a wall at the Last Supper upstairs there and sat down and had dinner with him. Why? Because he's God. He's 100% man and 100% God. That's just another paradox. But they're, they're testifying in their testimony at this time, their testimony that we, the disciple, John and his disciples, all of us, we looked upon him, we touched him with our own hands concerning what? The logos, word of life. The life was what? Manifest and what? And here again, the eyes. And we have seen it and testify to you, testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. Remember, John, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. He was with the Father. Two, we have two distinct characters of the Trinity here. They're not one, they're two. But they are one. But they're not separate. The eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. To us. Now, us would be to his, him, John and his disciples. It was manifest to us, referring to, that which we, John and his disciples, have seen and heard. There it again. They seen him. They heard the audible voice. And what are they doing? We proclaim also to you. To the other group. Now there's another group of people. You, the people that, that uh, the yous here are probably the ones that the Gnostics were coming in and bringing a lot of pain into their lives because they didn't get to actually physically see this but they could have had a, they could have had a regenerated soul at this point and they could have been saved and they were listening to these apostates come in and try to ruin their lives. And he goes on to say, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. There, it's signifying the two distinct parts of the Trinity again. With the Father and with the Son. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. But let's stop right there. We are writing these things so that, what? We are writing these things. Why, why are we writing these things? Well, that's easy to say. If you go to the book of John, chapter 20, verse 30, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, I added all them things on that Christ, by the way, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What's that word again? By believing you may have life in his name. Why was the book of John written? It says that the book of John was written that you hear it, and by hearing or reading it and hearing it, that you can come to believe, and by believing, you can have eternal salvation. You can forever be with the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. 
And when we're in the presence of the Lord, let's just talk about this light a little bit. Because Jesus is the, the, the way, the life, the truth. He's truth. He's the light. He's the word. He's the living water. But the light is a light that when we be in, when we'll be absent from the body, present with the Lord, there won't be no sun, there won't be no lights. He will illuminate all the way around you. There will be no shadow behind me. When we're in the presence of the Lord, it's just going to be a magnificent light. In all your senses that you have right now, that you can taste, hear, see, all your physical attributes are just going to be... 10,000 times on steroids. It's going to be so fabulous. He promises us a glorified body to be in the presence of the Lord. We're just not going to be floating around up there. Uh, we're going to have, be in the presence of the Lord. We're going to have glorified bodies. No more crying. No more suffering. No more pain. No more sin. So, these things were written, and it for, for our joy may be complete. You know, God is long-suffering. He wants all of his to come to him. He's long, he, he, and when, when that happens, the joy will be complete. My joy is so complete when my brother Al come here today and played his music. I have a young man coming. I'm going to get to marry him. I see another one of my brothers out there. I see my other brother here. You know, when we have fellowship together in communion on the same page, our joy is complete. We've, we live in a fallen and a troubled world. So they're saying their joy will, will be made complete at this time. Then it says, period, then it says, walking in the light. Well, where do we get this text from? What, what is this telling us? Walking in the light. Well, this is talking about a saved people, a regenerated soul. But it's giving us some instructions here. It's a motion. It's, it's, it's like walking. It's static. It's moving, right? Walking in what? The light. Or you could substitute the light for maybe the spirit, okay? So it's giving us instructions as a saved people how we should act. Well, where, where could we find that also in Scripture? We can go to Romans you know, Romans chapter 7, where you have Paul struggling as a saved disciple, struggling with the flesh. He's, he's saying, I'm doing that. My flesh is doing the things that I don't want to do, but my spirit doesn't want to do them. So I guess I'm no longer the one doing them because love's in the spirit. But there's this internal battle because we have this fallen nature in us. We'll have this fallen nature in us until the day we die. We have to care. I have to carry around 200 pounds of sin until the day I die. I have to carry it around with my spirit until I get my, my, my new body, a perfect body. I got to deal with this sin nature and this flesh in me. And it explains this to me, to the Romans wrote, and it goes in Romans 8.1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who, walk, who do not walk in the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. Same terminology, walking, emotion, we must do it. I know everybody was just dying to do something here. When you just heard about you were dead in your trespasses, you had to be reborn. Well, now is your opportunity to do something. Now you're filled with the Spirit. The same Spirit in you is the same Spirit of all the whole world that's inside of you today. If your soul's been regenerated and is giving us instruction on what to do, it tells us to walk in the Spirit or to walk in the light. All right? And, and, and so there's no condemnation. There's a forgiveness. No punishment for my crime. I've been saved. I'm not going to fall in and out of salvation. 
I'm going to struggle with my flesh. I'm going to walk in the spirit, not the flesh. When I think of thoughts, or if I have a thoughts, you know, my life, I used to do things in my life that didn't bother me so much. I thought, well, that's just how God made me. That's just, you know, that's, I'm made that way. And then I, I come to the Lord. He gave me a new soul. He gave me a new spirit. And today when I think about the things that I once did, it troubles me. I have a very repented heart. I immediately have to stop and walk in the spirit, not the flesh. I'm not going to walk towards the desires of my flesh. I, they no longer can have control over me. I walk in the spirit, the new life. And it's giving us instruction. So when I do this, it's a sign that's telling a saved person to repent. Walk in the light. This is the message who? John and disciples. We have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Now, it's saying, it's saying John and my disciples, if, if I say that I have fellowship with God and I walk in darkness, what, what am I doing? I'm lying, it says. We lie and do not practice the truth. Now, here's one of the words. It doesn't say that you, you, you met that state of perfection. You don't have to practice something if you're at that state of perfection. If, God, if I was saved and my soul's been regenerated and I'm washed in the blood and, and I don't have to worry no more about my sin or my actions the rest of my life, it would say I was born, I was, I was in perfection. But here it tells me if I say that I don't, if I, we lie and do not what? Practice the truth. The same way we have to walk in the spirit. We have to practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And what a glorious thing it is that we can have fellowship as brothers and sisters and come together in this troubled, fallen world. We have fellowship. We're walking in the light. We're walking in the spirit. We're practicing the truth. We're reading the Lagos, his word. We're, we're, we're giving praise to Jesus. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. It, the blood of Jesus will cleanse me in the past, in the present, in the future. It will just be a continual washing from what? From all sin. If we say, now this is very important now, if you, if you think you're a saved person and you have no sin, I, I, I want you, this is crystal perfectly clear here. If we, now who's the we? John and his disciples, are they saved? Yes, they are saved. I believe they're saved. Uh, if we say we have no sin, what do we do? We deceive ourselves. And what? And the truth is not in us. Now it tells us what to do. If we confess our sins, we, John and the disciples, if we confess our sins, what happens? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? From all unrighteousness. All right? Now, if, if you're still sitting there saying, I'm perfect, 
I, God saved me, and I, I do not sin no more. Okay, because you don't want to believe John, you know. Here, listen to verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, the him there is God. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. Repentant is so foundational for a saved Christian. Walking in the light, Romans 8, 1. one okay, so now. So, what about the unsaved person? I, and I like how this addresses this too. It says in, in 1 John, over one chapter over in verse 2, 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. They would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So when John and his disciples were writing this book and proclaiming this truth of, to these people, they were proclaiming it as that they were all saved people. Okay? And it's for each one of us when, when in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, when it says, Paul says, Beloved, I know you've been doing well when I'm not around, but we must work out, I'm paraphrasing, we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's not saying that you're coming in and out of your salvation. He says you must work out your fear with, with a reverence and an awe for God that we must acknowledge that. So, if what I'm preaching here tonight, if it's contrary to what's in your heart, then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I, I hope you've, you've already have a regenerated soul. But if not, I showed you in John 3.16. We read that. We went over that. But I won't be surprised if some of us go out of here that say they're Christians, proclaim they're saved, and then we see them go out from us. Now, I'm not talking about they got mad because of the church politics, because the nursery wasn't big enough or something. Uh, I'm not talking, they went to another church. I'm not talking about that. They, they went out from us. They went back to that lifestyle. If John were to go back to the lifestyle that he once lived before I proclaimed all this, then apparently I was never saved. Very clear to me. I like things being clear. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this time that we could spend together. Father, I, I just pray for, for souls, Father, for your souls. I pray that I expounded on your word properly. I pray that it can touch a heart. I pray that you can give hearts to know and ears to hear and eyes to see, Father. I thank you for this church. I thank you for all my brothers and sisters that are here. Father, we just, we raise you up. We, we just help us to live God-honoring lives and to continue to glorify you.
Thank you for the remedy for when I stumble and I fall and I have thoughts and I don't practice the truth, that I have a remedy for it, that I can confess it, ask for the forgiveness of my sins and that you'll forgive me. What a loving father. I, I lived under such condemnation and wrath that I placed upon myself. I beat myself up throughout my life on what a bad person I was, Father. And to know that my God loves me so much that he, he allowed me to live how I lived and says, if I just believe, if I just believe in the Son of God with my heart, profess it with my mouth, that I could spend all eternity with you. And while I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling, and I stumble that you give me a remedy for my problem, to confess my sins. I thank you for that assurance of my salvation, and I thank you for the forgiveness that I have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.